Hello, hello, and welcome to Changing Mentality. Today, I'm going to be speaking to one of my best friends, Mike, about his dissertation titled Working Class Masculinities and the Impact of Thatcherism in British Film. Mike and I both studied drama and screen studies at the University of Manchester and graduated in 2020. This conversation was recorded back in November, and just as a warning, there are a couple of swear words. Please enjoy. Welcome to Changing Mentality, Mike. Thank you. Happy to be here. <laughs> Could you, um, for the benefit of the listeners, uh, would you introduce yourself, talk about what you studied at uni? Yeah, well, right, so I am Mike. Uh, well, no, no, hello, everyone. I am Michael Moulton, and I studied uh, drama and screen studies at uh, the University of Manchester. Um, I did my dissertation on uh, portrayals of working class masculinities in British film and the impact of Thatcherism. Nice one, thanks. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, so you just said um, what your dissertation was on. So how did you come to choose that topic? Um, do you know what? Do you know what? I was like, oh, I'm doing a dissertation, right? Um, and I've got to write 12,000 words on something. And I love watching films. So I thought do something on film because um, then it'll be more enjoyable. And I've also found the study of uh, like masculinities, femininities, really interesting while I've been at uni. Um, I've done quite a, I've done a few different classes that centred around that or had like lectures based in them fields. Um, so I was like, bring it all together. And I also wanted to broaden my knowledge of sort of British politics a bit because in history, in school, I didn't do much on like sort of modern, well, more contemporary British politics. Um, so I wanted to broaden my knowledge of that a bit. So I focused it in on like Thatcherism, rise of neoliberalism. ETC, ETC. So yeah, I, yeah, put it all together and I ended up with that uh, destination. So um, you were saying that you were interested in like uh, masculinity and femininity and stuff like that. So what's your understanding of those um, concepts and, and how did you learn about them? Oh gosh, that's a question, isn't it? That's like an essay question, that is. How many marks is this going to be? Um, <laughs> what are my understandings of masculinity and femininity? Um, or just like, well, what, what's your interest in them? Yeah, no, well, one of, my, one of the main uh, interests for me, uh, David Butler was the first one to point this out to me. Like, a lot of the time I was using the word masculinity instead of masculinities. Um, mm. He was just saying, he was like, don't narrow yourself in to saying, like, oh, this is working class masculinity or this is, you know, like, a masculinity is like there's so many different uh, like branches to what masculinity is um so the, the plural of it was something that interested me and um and how uh yeah and 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 different and different notions that fall into that um plural, like plurality is that a word i think so <laughs> yeah it's a word um so uh, the notions that fall under it so like like the idea of being a man like you know provider um hunter you know a winner um protector you know these sort of um, notions of strength that fall into masculinity and uh i think part of what i was interested in in the films that i looked at was what happens when you take take that away from uh one man um, different communities of men as well because one of the films that I looked at was Pride uh, 2014 great film quality film shout out to Pride should watch it mm. <laughs> you watch it yeah yeah, um, yeah I've seen oh, it oh well there you go then yeah but for anyone listening watch Pride it's a fantastic film yeah it's sick anyway uh, yeah Pride oh yeah so um, a lot of the films that I watched centred around uh, heterosexual men but then when you put in uh, queer men that you see in Pride, um, especially how in Pride the two communities sort of merge um, and coexist and, you know, learn to coexist and understand each other. Again, mm. like seeing um, yeah, the, how the notion of masculinities can change when you take 
um, sort of the, like, for example, the means to provide when you take that away, how that can change um, sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Um, yeah, I hope that made sense. Sort of like a <laughs> storm of thoughts then. But yeah, that, that's what I was interested in about it. Um, and I really enjoyed the films. So yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so you spoke about Pride. Um, what was the other film you did again? So I did um, Brassed Off, The Full Monty, and The Miner's Hymns. So I did oh, four yeah. films in total. Right, yeah. Okay. Gosh. Um, yeah, so what were the... So you've got four films made across, like, what, 40-odd years, probably? Yeah, I have all set from... Um, around the same time. Um Oh, you know what, man? I've got to remind myself now. <laughs> I, I think there were, there were two films from the 90s. Brass Off and Full Money are from the 90s, yeah, yeah. And then, and that was it. And, and Pride and the Miners' Hymns are from the 2010s. Uh, and they were all set around the... Uh, yeah, they, they were all set around the same time, yeah. Yeah, they were, yeah. Right. Yeah, so what, what was it like, the... Um, what were the portrayals of masculinity like like mm. in all those different films and I don't know if this was an area you looked into in your disc but like yeah, yeah, yeah. did you comment on any like changes um through the like time periods yeah yeah well actually also that, that reminds me um the full Monty was actually set uh, so that was set in the 90s whereas the other three were set in the uh 80s oh. I remember that correctly yeah but the full Monty was sort of uh, the after effects of the impact like the sort of yeah the after effects of like um taking away a lot of the industry in sheffield um that, that she was doing because uh, she was obviously she was i'm pretty sure she finished as prime minister by the time for monty was yeah she had by the time that was released um so yeah we saw like the after effects almost uh, but anyway what did i notice uh, in the betrayal of masculinity in the films uh a lot, I mean, the main thing that I spoke about, I think, in my dissertation was, um, like, the man's, like, a man's need to be a provider and, like, the sort of portrayal of being a provider. Um, and obviously a lot of what Thatcher did with, um, like, for example, with, like, the mining community uh, was took away work and, like, you take away work, you take away money, you take away means to provide, you take away purpose. Mm. Um, so that was a, that was one of the notions of masculinities that I looked into. And, uh, oh, what else was there? Competitiveness as well, I think. That was a really important one, especially in um, Pride. Um, I think there was a level of competitiveness in that with some of the men from Wales and when they came to... Uh, first interact with the with the men from London who would come in um, sort of like these people that they'd never really met anyone like that before you know that was so sort of different to them um, I think that brought in a level of competitiveness and also pride the miners hymns had a lot of, had a lot of sort of connotations of pride derived around it because that was a bit of a different film that was essentially there was like no sort of um wasn't that a conventional film with like, like there was no dialogue, for example. It was just, a, it was essentially just a collection of images, like montage and with sound, with like a, with like a, a brass band playing over the top. Um, you know, and, and there was some narration on screen, but there was no like dialogue or no sort of conventional narrative. But there was a lot of images um, of like, of the miners' gala. So it, it would be like a collection of like mining families and the mining community would come together but they'd have like a brass band playing uh, and they'd go on like a march they'd have like the banners out and everything and it was like a massive event for the mining community right. um, and like yeah that was just a massive show of pride um, and, and putting it in this film so you know a few a few sort of minutes before you had sort of sequences of mining community um like some of the riots were shown uh, in the film, some of the riots were shown, and then juxtaposing that with like this, with this show of the gala, um, again, like really shows the pride that 
like the communities managed to maintain, even though um, Thatcher had taken away a lot, a lot of the means to provide. Um, yeah, and like combining them images was cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, that was sort of main notions that I you know, put stuck out to me. Yeah. Are you what? Sorry, that stuck out to you. The main notions that stuck out to me. Yeah. Right. Okay. So. Um... I feel like a bit of seminar. <laughs> Did a seminar again. <laughs> Do you miss it? Yeah, yeah. Miss seminars. Miss yeah. it, I miss it all, to be fair. Oh, yeah, me too, a little bit. <laughs> Some bits, not everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, Mike and I lived together uh, when we were both in third year. So, I did hear a lot about his dissertation while I was writing it. Um, mm. But, Mike, what did you learn when you were doing your research and writing your dissertation what did i learn um, obviously i learned about a lot of different masculinities learned about Margaret thatcher sort of deepened my knowledge of politics a bit um i think drawing it into the present day as well mm -hmm. was one of the key things i was trying to do like sort of comparing and thinking about how what Margaret Thatcher did still has an impact today. Um, yeah, like drawing into the present day and looking at uh, like some of the reading I did and thinking was about um, sort of like the Labour Party under like Tony Blair. Um, I think one of the one of the articles I read called it called his his like his tenure um, Thatcherism with a socialist face. Yeah, because like. It was still fairly, I mean, he was still sort of on the right, um, what he was doing, uh, because because of how much, like, Thatcher had changed politics. Like, one of the things David Butler and I would speak about is how, um, like, Margaret Thatcher was, like, was, was such a conviction politician. But, like she, 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 like, she had an ideal and she had a way that she wanted to change this country. And, like, she has changed, she changed the country, like, massively. And like the effect of still being felt today. Whereas someone like Boris Johnson is, you know, he's a career politician and it like he jumped on the bandwagon with Brexit, he saw a little way in. I mean, God knows how he's got in, but he's seen a little way in. Yeah. And he he's become prime minister, he's, he's a massive career politician. Mm. Um but yeah, and uh also yes, so so the impact of Thatcherism and like how her conviction has meant that that sort of neoliberal the right that we live in now. Um, has gone so far and has happened for so long um, and, and it, it's changed like I, I think a lot of it with her was uh, sort of individualism and like the you know look out for yourself look after yourself and like self-reliance um, and I think it's generated these that, that it, it's even further it's furthered some of the competitiveness I think that you have like within like capitalist capitalist institutions anyway Mm -hmm. um, and capitalist societies like obviously it's all about competition it's all about consumerism beating the, beating the competition you know and I think um oh my thoughts are running away with themselves um yeah so that's what I mean yeah the the, the prevalence of that chair and, and how far uh her ideology has lived on I think in this uh this country you notice um, that legacy like day to day. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Like, well, a lot, a lot of time because I read so much about it. A lot of the time now, when I'll see like, um, oh, I'm trying to think. It, it's like that sort of pull yourself up by your bootstrap sort of thing. You know, pull yourself out, sort yourself out. You know, what I mean, look to yourself um, for help. Don't look to the state. Be self reliant, um, which isn't possible for everyone like mm. especially in a world that is so based on competition and and uh, profit like profit margins obviously if you're if you're someone that's more privileged in society you would it would be easier for you to have the resources to maybe do that but if i don't know let's say if you're someone who if you let's say you can't work or something and and you're being told oh look to yourself for help and guidance like, all right or, 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 <laughs> how am i gonna how, where am i gonna get the money from you know what I mean? It's stuff like that. And I think um, I think I see it in today's society a lot with the Conservative Party now. Uh, you know, as giving and kind as they are. 
you know, like I see a lot of it in that party and that legacy has lived on, you know, obviously like, um, and, and yeah, and I think it was, it was, it's trying, it try, it, it's trying to be tackled by the opposition party. Mm. Um, they're trying to, obviously it was massively rejected in the last election, what they were trying to do. Um, we sort of just essentially making a fairer society. Um, it was massively rejected. Oh yeah, no, the last election was the, I think it's either the high, highest um, like proportion of votes the Conservatives got since Thatcher, or it was higher than Thatcher when she first came in. I think it is. I think. Right. Um, like it was like the last, last election was mad. How much people were like, you know, going for the Conservatives? Yeah, that, that, that's probably where I'd see it in today's world in society. Yeah, I mean, we talk a lot about like this party stands versus this party stands, but I think. I think anyway, like you see that kind of thing um, all the time is that like people kind of don't, f- people, many, many people have uh, this view that like you can't really ask for help or if you do, it's a sign of weakness. Um, and it goes back to what you were saying earlier about like the, the need to, being a provider is a purpose. So you feel that responsibility. Yeah, d- definitely, and like, and saying that as well about weakness, it, it reminds me. Uh, in the summer, I think it was, I, I did a, like, um, I recorded a few lines uh, for my friend who was setting up a. They were doing an advert, I think, so, uh, something to do with some advertisement or just raising awareness or whatever for a food bank uh, mm. in Stratford upon Avon, quite an affluent area. So I was doing a voiceover for him, and it was all about. Uh, like raising awareness and showing, like, and especially at, at the moment when, like, you know, money's tight, the economy is absolutely screwed, mm. jobs are being lost. Um, uh, how, if you do need to seek help from places like a food bank, from support services, welfare services, it, 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 it's something that like is acceptable. It's not tr- trying to reduce the stigma around it, um, especially mm. in an area like that, because like Stratford upon Avon is, is a very affluent area. Um, and I think when you've got an area like that, people would perhaps maybe feel more shame to have to feel like they've got to go to somewhere like a food bank to feed, feed themselves and their family. But um, yes, yeah, so, so this advert that they did was all about trying to tackle that stigma. Um, yeah. Do you think with everything that's going on in the world, like with the pandemic and uh, many people having to turn to food banks amongst other things, that those legacies of Thatcherism and the attitudes of individualism will be changed at all? Or do you think they're too ingrained in society? See, I don't, I don't think it's as black and I don't think it's as black and white, perhaps. I think it's more of a sort of, I think it's more of a grey area because yes, like we live in a society that I think there'll always be that there'll always be like a sense of community in a sense for looking out for you know looking out for your neighbour and there always will be um, but I still think there will always be that sort of competitiveness and like um, that notion of individualism but will it I know what you mean like will it sort of will this sort of caring for each other continue I'd like to think it would um, I would like to think it would I'd like to think attitudes would change towards people that live in poverty and, and people that aren't, you know, at the most privileged level in society. Um, I'd like to think it would. I hope it does. I hope people continue this kindness, especially in the, um, like, just the care that people give into each other in the first, like, lockdown, like, people would, um, I'd hear stories of people, you know, taking food, like, their neighbours who were elderly and couldn't leave the house. And I think it really brought out a lot of the kindness in, um, in people. I'd, you know, I'd like to think it would continue, but I, I do also still think that, like, the obviously the way like uh, the way like we live, any like that consumerist sort of capitalist um, way that we live, like, you know, I want the I want the biggest, I want the best, I want the most money, I want the nice cars. Yeah. You know, what I mean, to, a lot of times to get that, you've got to be competitive. You've got to be the one that's like gonna, you know, put like profit first. And I think in that sense, that that is. That is still the individualist notion that um, 
like exists um i don't know how 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 would you combat that and and is that also such like that that need like if you measure success in that sort of monetary materialistic way um do you do you need to change that if that's what makes you happy mm. do you need to change that um but i think if that then jeopardizes like helping each other then perhaps you do need to change that but again it's, it's different with priorities uh so i don't know maybe if we lived in a more like socialist world maybe people would be less less so like um focus on themselves maybe like people would start to put people on the same like level as profit um I don't know. That was again a sort of blurge of thoughts. Mm. I don't think it answered your question, to be honest. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I mean you've you've definitely like demonstrated that like it's um it's not such a simplistic question. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That I asked. No, it's, yeah, no, it's not. It's it's a discussion, definitely. It's a discussion, yeah. like, but like even you know, even when Thatcher was sort of building this, you know, property-owning democracy that was, you know, look after yourself and your family. Uh, there's, there's always welfare groups, support groups. Yes, they're minimalised because of um, certain, like, funding restrictions, for example, but it's always there. Like, I mean, I noticed that, like, even where I live now, um, like, the youth club that I used to go to, and I was like, I don't know, like, when I was like, 11 12 like me and my mates always just go to like the youth club around the corner uh by like uh sort of like community center like but the funding just went for the youth clubs like, i don't think the youth clubs are anymore so like my little brother couldn't go to it yeah no things like that and you know it's funding restrictions isn't it like budgets and that uh and like you know it's, it's all profit at it profit yeah. profit profit yeah and that's to do with um like priorities like you say before because mm-hmm. there's personal priorities like profit versus whatever else but then mm-hmm. there's priorities of other people who have to make decisions in their job and a youth club for example like off the top of my head i think the only kind of benefits um reducing crime transferable skills like we used to do loads of shit at that youth club we used to do so much stuff like we have people coming in doing like where people, where like community groups coming in, like teaching us, like I can't, I don't even know what dancing was. They were like dancing around the hall. I remember it, and I was like, we're all dancing with them. Like it was, it was like someone from like just completely different culture coming in, doing all this. We do sports, like, like arts and crafts, like loads of stuff. There was so much stuff, and like um, yeah. social skills as well. Like yeah, yeah, so yeah. Well, yeah, for for the children, uh, the young people, even going to the youth club, like the the benefits are endless. Um, yeah, of course. But I meant for the for the people yeah. whose decision it is uh, to allocate funding mm. or not, then like, what so, what are they really going to gain from a youth club? But then in that sense as well, like even looking at it right in a social sense, yeah, you're reducing crime, you're stopping, you get you're getting like kids, right, like young teenagers, they're coming into this place to be busy rather than doing whatever else. But also like. In terms of investing in young people, you like giving young people these skills, especially like these social skills and like confidence, mm. you're giving them like more opportunities in life, more prospects. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, which then furthers their like, furthers their employability, it furthers their um ability and, and the skills that they have. Mm. Uh, which then if you want, you know, if you want a self-reliant society you know what i mean like if, if you've got people that have more of the skills to look to themselves give it to them yeah so even in economic and social sense it makes sense yeah that's so true yeah it's like you say like yeah like even if we want uh that kind of self-reliance boot pull up pull yourself up by your bootstraps or whatever you yeah, said yeah. it was before like yeah. you've got to you've got to give so much to other people yeah 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 exactly yeah i think like that is one of the problems isn't it is that like some people anyway like see like think socialism is like a dirty word and that like they'll end up losing all their money um you know and they'll be like criminals like running around on the streets or what whatever um but in reality it's not so black and white 
Um, it's just like, I mean, I don't know what what a socialist society would look like because we've never lived in one. Yeah. But, um, but the kind of practices already exist in a capitalist society under a conservative government. Yeah, exactly. I'm not even, I mean, even trying to bring things more into like a sort of, even if it's just more towards like social, like a social sort of capitalism, if that is a thing, like more like sort of center, I don't know, like, uh, I mean, bringing it towards that gradually, I mean, bring change, because you're not going to overnight go from something like, uh, you know, something like from literally the f- far end of the right, being like, oh, we're going to jump over to the left now. Yeah. yeah. But having like a gra- maybe a more of a gradual change um, would help bring a, a fairer society. Um, you know, we should do a TED talk, Sam. I would TED love talk. <laughs> Yeah, change the world. Yeah. Me and you in office, change the world. Yeah. We we used to speak a lot about politics um, yeah. when we lived together. All the time, like I'd be making my, I'd be making a, like a chili con carne on the stove, and Mike would ask me <laughs> what I thought about like capitalism, Unionism, yeah, uh, mass incarceration. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just be sad. It'd be quite a phrase. Like, oh, Sam, what 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 are you saying about communism? <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, yeah interesting conversations yeah uh, we yeah we, we've spoken a lot about politics but i wanted to ask you as well mm. because obviously like uh one way of looking at your dissertation was that the politics is supplementary to the discussion around films um, yeah so i wanted to ask you about like uh media more widely and your perceptions of masculinity and class in media today um and if there was anything you learned about that from your dissertation hmm. the, what springs to mind I mean, this is sort of politics again though <laughs> <laughs> all right is um the latest like scandal um where uh the conservatives voted down um well no you know parliament voted down um free school meals thing. I know they do a U-turn on it and, uh, you know, I think it's going ahead now. Um, but yeah. that brought up a lot of discussion. You see a lot of stuff on Facebook. Like, I kept seeing tweets. Like, someone would take a picture of their food, right? And, um, like, oh, this cost me, like, 50p to me. Like, you know, feed your own kids. You know, stuff like that. And it was, like, saying comments like that. And, um, it, again, it's that sort of painting things as, as black and white, like, Right, all right, yeah, fair enough, you made a cheap meal. Right, you can make food cheaply. But A, you're assuming that... Again, it's just assuming everyone's on a level playing field. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, um, I was I was watching a interview, and it had... Do you know who had on it? Oh, do, you remember, do you remember Fat Families, that programme? I don't think I saw that. Terrible programme. Terrible. <laughs> but anyway, um, like it, was, it was all sorts of problems with it but anyway uh, the guy off that was doing an interview and dr i think i think that's dr Woolrich. i follow him on instagram uh, he's great he's really really good uh, you know he's, he's does a lot of stuff like, like weight stigma and that anyway he was talking he was saying like saying to this guy in the interview like you're assuming that everyone in the uk has got even access to all this cheap food to all these big supermarkets when there's like places in the UK and he was he, I think he called them food deserts he was saying like mm-hmm. where their local produce is coming from an overpriced corner shop you know I mean they haven't got access to a big Aldi you know what I mean like in yeah. walking distance here I can get to Aldi Tesco or Morrison's mm. you know what I mean like like these big super stores yeah uh, saying that he was saying like you're assuming that every, so going back to this guy so to do with a food desert and accessibility to food, again, comes down, a lot, a lot of time does come down to class. Um, mm. If you are in, let's say you are in a low-income household, in a low-income area, um, you're not going to have, the, you're obviously not going to have the same accessibility to food mm. as maybe this guy who's put this picture onto it, oh, I made this really cheaply. And also, right, if you're not, let's say you're like a single dad or a single mom, you've got three kids at home, whatever, and like you're grafting all day, two, maybe even two or three jobs sometimes, right? When when like when's your time gonna come? Uh, you can't always fit the time in to go to this big supermarket before it shuts. Yeah. You can't always fit the time in to do this. 
um, and you're so let's that's an, another example that you're trying your hardest uh, to work for a living um, again and, and that's taking even more pressure I suppose pressure off the state because you're you're not you're, you're let's say you're not claiming anything you know what I mean and, and you're trying to just work to, to, to feed your children giving them that one school meal that one hot meal a day when maybe you have not got the time or the resources to const- to always be cooking meals, um, you know, or, or preparing like packed lunches and that for your kids. Um, it just takes the pressure off, especially. And it is that like class, uh, class disparity, I think that plays into it, like, again, massively. Um, that's the first thing that springs to mind when I think of like today's society, mm. uh, like, uh, like different ideas around class. Um, and then I suppose like masculinities, where does, where's that coming in it for me? That, that, yeah, that, there was another thing I read actually about modern day masculinities. Um, I can't remember what the term was, and that's annoying because it's a really good term and I'd sound really clever if I remembered it. Um, you have quick Google. Yeah, let, let me Google it, let me Google it. I think I've got an idea. Oh, do you know what? Oh, I think I've actually got the book, you know. I think I've got the book. Wait there, wait there, wait right there. there. <laughs> I know where it is in the book. I know All right, go on there. Do you know what? I can't find it, man. That is so annoying. Oh, no. I know what it says. It's like, I know what it's like. Inclusive masculinity. Okay. Is it? Is it? Is it? Got it. Actually, is it? What's that? <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Inclusive masculinity. And I've said that word. I don't even know what I was going to say about it now. I don't know what the thought was. I don't know where it was going. I don't know why I said it. (laughs) (laughs) Can you remember what it is? Yeah, I know what it is. I'm reading it here, but I don't know what I was going to say about it. (laughs) Oh, God. Mike... (laughs) You've just spent about 10 minutes looking for a term in a book and you don't even know why. I think, right, basically, I'll I'll, I'll make something up. I'll try and, like, you know, I'll get something in there. Basically, inclusive masculinity is... um, So so it posed a challenge to both hegemonic masculinity theory and manhood acts. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so more and more young men have demonstrated inclusive behaviours in the past several decades. For instance, they reject homophobic sentiments and are more accepting of gay classmates and teammates. Um, uh, in a period of declining homo hysteria or strong anti-gay sentiments, young men also demonstrate more of a willingness to be emotionally and physically close. For example, they hug and kiss other young men. Uh, Researchers in this area of work have argued that team sports especially have come to reject orthodox forms of masculinity grounded in homophobia, aggression and violence. So like that, that, that makes me think about um, like uh, in, in, in uh, football clubs as well, like a lot of the work they'll do um, to try and uh, combat homophobia in sports environments. Mm. Um, when I was at a football game in Vancouver, uh, soccer game, sorry for the Canadians listening, um, it was uh, there was like a moment where like I think I think we all had like a different colour of the LGBTQ flag I think I think it was that we all had we were all and like there was like a moment where everyone held it up and it was obviously all like a performative performative show against uh, homophobia mm. and, like, and like this sort of inclusive masculinities I think comes into that um, in today's society because like you're saying like there isn't well obviously there still is but. Um, there's, I think there is a growing more of an acceptance um, towards men who don't like fit that, sh- like, you know, hegemonic traditional masculinity. And maybe they are gay, maybe they um, are trans, maybe they are, you know, wh- wh- whatever, whatever they, they are. Um, more open mindedness, perhaps, um, yeah. as the platform for people maybe grows. So, like, you see more, for example, like you see trans people on the TV now. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of stories about LGBT uh, men in films and, and literature. Um, I think allowing people to understand um, minorities more 
is helping this sort of inclusiveness to masculinity grow. Mm. And um, I, I think obviously it's not always there today. Um, there's still mass, massive, massive rejections towards people that don't fear that hegemonic masculinity. Um, mm. But I, I, I sort of agree with what this book was saying and how it's improving, definitely. Mm. Um, That's really interesting. Um, yeah. And I've, after hearing you say that, I'm thinking back to earlier when you were talking about the difference between, well, the importance of understanding masculinities, plural, mm. because um it's because that even that pluralized version of the word is not something that's said often we talk about masculinity versus femininity um and it's important i think for for us as men to understand ourselves that we know that like there are different masculinities and there is inclusive masculinity and there is toxic masculinity um and yeah there's there's a there's a multiplicity of types. Um, it sounds kind of like inclusive masculinity is like opposite to toxic masculinity. Um, I guess it depends on how you define these terms, but uh, just the other day I was trying to explain it, toxic masculinity to my dad. And I was saying like, it's, it's quite a hard thing to explain, I think, but I was making a point of it of about, discomfort with um certain behaviors or or a compulsion to behave in a certain way so like an example is um not feeling comfortable to order a cocktail at a bar if you're a man yeah yeah because men are supposed to drink beer yeah yeah. um and so inclusive masculinity by contrast i guess would be ordering whatever you like to drink and knowing that no one is going to care yeah no exactly Um, and um going off that as well um another you know maybe this book or another book i don't know where it was but this i remember this quote um it was about how like a lot of men will reject feminine traits out of fear mm. of being seen as gay yeah by other men that fear um and it really is instilled into you because i was in i was in town earlier and I was going to go to Cafe Nero get a coffee, and the only mask we had was like purpley pink. And like even in my head, I was thinking, "Oh fuck, that was a pink mask." <laughs> I, was like, I was like, "I was like, it was just so stupid." I'll just put it on in the end. It was so stupid. The thing is, I got like a pink T-shirt anyway. So like, I was like, "What? What is the difference?" But it, it does. It goes in general, like, but it, it is something that I think it is definitely uh, ingrained into. Yeah, and you know, you just, it's it, it, well, I suppose because of the the way we live but you i do think the more comfortable you become in your masculinity uh or your femininity the more like you don't care if, if you do uh do something that, that might be perceived to be the op- the opposite i don't know what the word is like the other one like femininity feminine or masculine you don't you know, you know I, I just i'll put it on but it did cross me mind for a sec yeah um, yeah and i also do love a cocktail <laughs> yeah who doesn't um yeah and it's uh so you were saying um you know that it's a process of trying to be more comfortable in in your masculinity or your femininity um and i think part of the way we do that is by like learning more about it and understanding it yeah exactly because yeah little things that like the mask thing the example that you've gave we we have those all the time day to day like for our whole lives and we probably don't realize that like the reason we think that way is because we've been told by wider society all throughout our lives that these behaviors are accepted and these are not um and so it's important to be aware of like whatever you're thinking and whatever behaviors you are doing or not doing like what is making you think or act in that way um i remember um when i was a few years younger i tried to um i like actively tried to make my voice deeper yeah why Mm. no one had ever no Mm. one would ever ever 
be like talking to you and think, oh God, they've got a really high pitched voice, don't they? Mm. Um, but I had in my head that I needed to do this. And I, and it's not like I thought like, oh God, that was, that was a very toxic um, <laughs> masculinity way of thinking. I just, yeah. um, but now like knowing a bit more about it and I say, and I want to stress like a bit because it's so complicated, um, but it helps. It helps us understand ourselves and, and grow closer to like being accepting of ourselves. Yeah. And, and, going off that and like the sort of frameworks that you're using to describe masculinity so like in- inclusiveness to- uh, toxicity like i remember reading again another article and it was it just discussed some of like the definitions mm. so many like different forms of masculinity masculinity and hopefully things continue to change for the better like uh, in terms of like masculinities and um conversation around mental health because yeah i think i do i do think that people um like young lads especially like they are getting becoming to be more open with each other like just from what i've seen in the way like my friendships have grown over the years um like lads talking to each other more about how they feel um what they might be going through um which is great uh, but it's got to continue like i think there was one pub or i was either in it or i saw it on the tele i don't know what it was springs to mind and there was like beer mats that was like oh like is one of your mates missing mm. things like that it's like it might have been an ad on the telly i can't remember it's like is one of your mates missing like i oh, drop him a text and you would like if i was in there i would sit there like oh yeah shit like, oh he's not here so i'd be like oh why not here you might just text him just be like oh you know what's going on like things like that like, little things like that uh, in environments where um young men or men of any age will gather um sports clubs as well i think is another one that does need some work on it like the amount of times that i have been um at a football game well no i'll tell you that back i am into a lot of football games actually that was very that was very over exaggerated um i don't really actually like football but when i've been when he's going to watch like my little brother play um the amount of times like the coach that say things like you know like stuff about like uh playing like a girl or to be honest, there might have been the like, homophobic slur thrown out there about how they were playing. I'm just like, it's just like, like, like I mean, it, it's so, it's so, so like, archaic to speak like that. Um, yeah. And again, it's like this idea that, you know, like, like, it's like the whole run like a girl campaign or like play like a girl. I remember that campaign was on the telly a few years ago that was trying to get girls into sports more. Um, and like this girl can and things like that, um, mm. which, which are great because it combats that that sort of archaic way of thinking, being like, oh, you're playing like a girl. So well, like, what does that mean? Yeah. Um, so I do think sports clubs uh, in general um, need to improve that sort of, it's almost, it's almost, it reminds me of like, like caveman sense, like, you know what I mean? Like, especially rugby, like just got like beasts like rolling around in the mud and like, you know, like, like the sport. That competitiveness where like maybe toxic traits of masculinity just can thrive right but more because like you know you're a sportsman you're an athlete you're, you're strong you're competitive you win you know what i mean you don't want to be seen as weak uh, but when you've got campaigns in mainstream especially mainstream football that is all about supporting lgbt uh, like battling homophobia in football uh battling like sexism misogyny um racism um things like that uh it, can, it it helps it helps sports clubs uh at, at, at grassroots level um because like like i know this from my little brother's football team like a lot of them idolize footballers like idolize them mm-hmm. i love them so like if you see your favorite footballer running around with like an lgbt armband on or something you know what i mean um yeah. it really does a lot to improve sort of masculinities um yeah 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 that's that's a great point that makes me think of um like those campaigns to make all sports more inclusive for all genders um that is one um avenue of uh feminist objectives um because you know it's the idea that um women and any other gender minorities can do 
anything that a man can do and vice versa. That's one element yeah. of it. Um, yeah. And that benefits everyone because the more women and just people generally that are uh, that are like allowed and encouraged to go into sport professionally um, or as a hobby, the more inclusive the sports are, the less the um, men who play sports feel like pressured to like behave a certain way to fulfill that hyper-masculine um, alpha male rugby um, mm. player. Love it. You are <laughs> like me. I'm only really joking. Carry on. Carry on. Yeah. No shade to rugby, of course. Um, <laughs> but you know, just like the more, um, if you, if I say to you, think of a rugby player, you probably think of like um, a massive white man. Um, yeah. You know, and as more people kind of get into the sports. Um, and become known for playing the sport, um, it changes the way that people will see themselves. Um, like if they want to get into that sport or not. And like once they're yeah. in the sport, how they think they should behave. Exactly, mate. Exactly. I mean, look at them. Oh, um, and, and that's why I think like um, feminism benefits everyone. And that, that yeah, is like yeah, yeah. one example of how that works. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and like just going off that as well, like look at how diverse football teams are now. Mm. Like if you look at the Premier League now, look at how um, how diverse it is, how many different kinds of people you've got yeah. playing football. And like you say, these kids, uh, players to relate to, yeah. might be for, you know, you know um, players to relate to players to look up to and even players to idolise, like I'm saying. And footballers, especially for young like young lads, I think have such a position of responsibility yeah. um, to like help, you know, bring uh like that they, 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 they think about it like especially like young lads like, who love football. And like I, like they're looking at these people in the Prem, like in the top teams in the Prem and they're like, I want, I want to be this person. Like yeah. You can have so much influence on the way they they think and the way they feel, yeah. and you can do. I think you can do. You have a platform. Like, oh, what's his name? Rashford. Literally yeah. him. Him. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, we Yeah. Um, I mean, this is going to make a huge difference. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of um, other footballers throughout history who have done like yeah. remarkable work for for charities and for vulnerable people. Yeah. Like, but like, there will he will have had so many um, young men idolizing him before now mm. you know and and so now like um you know campaigning for like government action and and trying to like help out um poor children is is going to yeah. be something that's so more so much more like widely accepted and idolized i suppose yeah exactly and, and even even just like bare roots like if you strip it back like just the helping of someone else, just helping someone else. Yeah. He ain't getting anything from it. He's not getting well, he's getting good publicity to be fair. So he's getting a bit from it. But um <laughs> you know you're not you're not getting you're not doing it because you want something. He's just doing it because like well I'm guessing he's doing it because he wants to help people. Yeah. Um and yeah like I mean yeah like look at the like look at the influence right like David Beckham's had on masculinities mm-hmm. in like like he was, li- there was one point he was like literally dictating hairstyles for the country, and like you know, maybe Beckham gets an ear piercing. All of a sudden, it's cool to get an ear piercing. Yeah, you know what I mean, like he's literally like a, like an icon. Yeah, like that influence when you're in that level of uh, when you have like that level of fame, uh, you've got a massive. You've got, I think you have got a massive level of responsibility, um, and you can have a massive impact on people. With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, exactly. But this this is the thing about like the media um, and footballers and other sports personalities come into this because they exist in the media um, is that it just has an effect on society um, on like what is acceptable and what is not acceptable um, yeah. uh, or, or so-called. Um 
you know, so like the more diversity we see in the media, the more that will filter down to our day-to-day attitudes on how we can look, on how we can uh, behave, you know, how we present ourselves and how we treat other people. The more diverse that is, the less pressure that is like put on us, um, everyone. Yeah. Because they don't, uh, you know, because it takes away the pressure of like, I must behave in this way in order to be successful or in order to be liked. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And, and it's like you're saying about like diversity and bringing more diversity into everything. Um, you know what I mean? Like, like allowing people, like giving people the means to succeed, like people from uh, a different racial background, from a different, I don't know, uh, class background or like, um, like part of like LGBT, you know, communities, like just minorities, bringing them into more, uh, like in the media and like into positions of power and, you know, like sports and things like that. Um, I don't know what I was going to say. Is good, is what I was going to say. Um, yeah. Um, such a great comment is good. But, you, you know, it, it allows... Um, yeah, allows more people to relate to them uh and i think also to believe in themselves as well you see like like even even like if you've got like a, I don't know, like a disney character who like looks more like you than um i don't know snow white or something if you're like oh you know or, or whatever like you know you're like, oh shit you know imagine like, oh i can do stuff no, I, I can do it you know what i mean it doesn't all have to be um, yeah no, i totally yeah. know what you mean it's like yeah it's something that we can't really explain, but like representation is so important for, you know, because we, we understand the world by like watching other people um, and, and like hearing stories about the world. Um, And if you don't see someone like you who looks like you or acts like you um, or is like you um, reflected like in the media, then it's like, what's the message there? Is it that you need to change something about yourself, mm-hmm. um, you know, in order to become a, a footballer, for example, you know, in order to like be loved one day, do you have to be, um, you know, a Prince Charming type who saves a damsel in distress? Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, if all the men that we saw in stories were those types who saved damsels in distress, um, you know, in order to find love, then then we'd be stuck thinking that, like, men's job is to save and women's job is to be saved. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's terribly problematic and it puts unnecessary pressure on everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was that was academic, wasn't it? That was, yeah, yeah, that very, was... very profound, very profound. Okay, so I just want to bring all this great discussion that we've had back to um, the idea of like, I think personally, it's so important to educate yourself and broaden your knowledge on like the world and the way that works, whether that be through the politics. Um, you know, in, in the history of our country that that um, leads society to behave in certain ways or whether that's educating yourself on types of uh, different masculinities even. Yeah. Or something else. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that would be like, if you're going to take away one thing from this, um, then I want you to notice when you do something like order a beer um don't feel like you have to order a beer but if you want to mm. by all means you order a beer order two order, two. order three <laughs> or four and i go all the way so mike we have really gone out there um in terms of like conversation topics starting from your dissertation and then yeah. talking about beer well beer <laughs> yeah <laughs> But talking about all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, but bringing it back to your dissertation, 
what would be your top tip for our listeners who are maybe uh, beginning to write their dissertations or who maybe are at the start of their academic career and just know that it's something that they're going to have to do in, in a couple of years time. Um, I don't know. What do you wish you had known or what would you like to, what would you recommend that um, current students do when approaching Ron. the dissertation? Ron. Ron. Oh, that's Ron. nice. Great. Ron. <laughs> Leave it. Nah, um, don't do that because when you do do it, you'll be really pleased with yourself. Um, oh, what advice would I have? My advice always was do little and often, and it. But that's how I work best because I can't leave stuff to like a few days before. Um, I, I've never been able to do it. I'm not going to ever be able to. Like I do little and often. I started early. Started off doing like one day a week or whatever, just little bits and often. Uh, I think also what advice would I have other than little and often? Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Uh, it's not going to be what you make in your academic life isn't ever going to be perfect. Um, you know, I mean, work hard, do as hard as you can. Also, like, enjoy it as much as you can as well. Enjoy writing it, enjoy, um, or try to find enjoyment in it anywhere. And back yourself, believe in yourself, because that's the place to start. When I see yeah. <laughs> Back yourself. Um, that would be my advice. Um, yeah. Mm, good advice, that. Thank you. Back yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, totally. And, and what I would say, and this is kind of linked, is um, if you feel like you haven't done enough work on your dissertation or whatever assignment, like uh, you haven't done enough work that day or that week uh, or whatever, if all you can do is read a couple of pages of a book and you're not really focused um, and you think it's wasted time, like, don't be hard on yourself again back yourself because it all adds up it's all knowledge that will just slowly like build a picture in your brain of a topic or of your view on uh, an area of research or something and you won't you won't be able to see the long-term effects um of the work that you've done at, at any point you'll never know um even like on the other side you won't know that like that one page you read in that one book um was very helpful but you've just got to have faith in yourself um that you are smart um and that you can do it because it all it all builds up and it all makes you able to do it um so yeah again back yourself Woo! <laughs> yeah Woo. definitely mike thanks so much for talking to us talking to me and the listeners about your excellent research i'm looking forward to um your paper being published <laughs> no worries yeah no worries I'll, uh, I'll share it on all social so everyone can buy it if they want to <laughs> um there will be a thing <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, it's very interesting, very fun to talk about again. Never shut me up, so yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Not at all. There we are. Thank you so much, Mike, for coming on the show, and thank you for listening. Just a quick note to say that uh, the political views that Mike and I shared in this episode do not necessarily reflect the views of student minds or of Comic Relief. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And also uh, follow us on our socials on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. The links are in the description. If you were interested in some of the stuff we were talking about, then I'd highly recommend looking back through the rest of the episodes uh, of Changing Mentality for other discussions on sport, inclusivity, masculinity, and mental health. Also in the description, you'll find links to resources and services for yourself or anyone that you know who needs support for their mental health. 
very much.